Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. Today we have a slightly unusual topic, and that is the situation in Ukraine and how families are coping. Um, It is an ongoing war, and much of Ukraine has been invaded um, by the Russians. There is tremendous violence um, uh, throughout that section of, um, of the Ukraine, but there is really a whole lot of Ukraine that has not been invaded. What is life like there? Um, Can kids sort of behave in a normal way? Are they going to school? Um, And what kind of charities are still operating there? So today we're going to be talking to Maria Chaplia. Um, Maria is actually a colleague of mine. She's a a fellow at the Independent Women's Forum, um, and she's also a research manager at the Consumer Choice Center, which is an organization that um, that really focuses on regulations and uh, and consumer issues. Um, she mainly works in the field of trade, lifestyle regulations, and platform economy. Um, her re- research and writing have been featured in major European titles such as the Daily Mail, the Independent, Financial Times, um, and the Parliament Ma- and Parliament Magazine. Um, Maria is actually joining us from the UK, uh, where she is a trained lawyer and economist. She completed a um, several management programs and communication internships uh, with Students for Liberty in Washington, D.C. And again, she is a fellow with us at IWF, um, focusing also on, on consumer issues. But lately, uh, Maria has been uh, focusing on the Ukraine. Maria is Ukrainian. Um, and so that is uh, sort of her, her focus. Um, she's been sort of keeping people aware of updates on Twitter um, and has participated in some IW um, events. So, Maria, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Julie. It's lovely to be here. Uh, Maria, I do want to talk to you about your town hall uh, piece um, uh, that was recently published and some of the agricultural uh, issues, uh, really problems over in Europe. Um, but I, I, I first want to talk to you. You just you just got back from Ukraine. Isn't that correct? Yes, I did just a few days ago. Well, can you give us sort of an update on on the situation there? Um, I mean, goodness, you know, how long is this podcast? I know it's hard to sort of uh, summarize what's going on. But if you could just tell us where you were and what you saw and, and you know, sort of the latest on the front, the war with Russia. Um, sure. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm Ukrainian and I come from the V region. So it's in the far west of Ukraine. I would live in Kiev if it wasn't because because of the war, which started on the 21st of February. Um, so the situation is in Ukraine, especially the mood around Ukrainians is quite grim um, because of some recent victories that Russia had in the east, um, as well as the fact that Russia is preventing Ukrainian grain from from leaving the country and feeding the world. As, as probably the listeners know, Ukraine is one of the biggest grain suppliers mm. in the world. Um, and as a result um, of Russia's actions, uh, the Black Sea is now blocked, so there is no way for the grain to leave. And as a result, many countries in Africa in particular who are heavily dependent on 
Ukraine's agricultural exports are suffering now on the brink of um, of hunger, as well as Ukraine Ukrainians inside. Mm-hmm. Um, my piece in Town Hall was about Holodomor, which was um, which was um, um, an estimation program orchestrated by the USSR in Ukraine, um, which essentially kills millions of people because Russians were just stealing Ukrainian grain. Um, taking it to Moscow um, and then like punishing Ugh. farmers who didn't want to comply, uh, who didn't want to comply, and that that's what's happening in Ukraine. And on top of that, there is also um, a great deficit of, of various like products. So what we see now is that um, healthcare supplies are running really low. Uh, you can see that some drugs are not available. Various um, Self-care products are not available, including shampoos in some shops, which is essentially what I've seen in shops where I went to, as well as some agricultural products are not also available. And it all coincides with the fact that the West is not really supplying any more weapons as it was promised, and all of these things just pile up. There's orchestrated innovation and blockage of the Black Sea as a result of like a lot of pressure on Ukraine to comply with some to to to, um, to come to terms with some peace plan or something that's not going to work for Ukraine so all of these things just pile up and Ukrainians are feeling very very depressed in a way betrayed by the West and oh. feeling very very alone with their um, personal tragedy which are, which is actually a tragedy that's been going on for the whole history of Ukraine so you I, um, stu- I stumbled earlier over the word um Halam, hal, I'm so embarrassed. Holodomor. Can you say that word for me? Um, yeah, it's Holodomor. Holodomor, um, and that is a that is a name for basically what the Ukrainians, the starvation that they have, um, and the the uh, it's it's um, the the sort of historical man-made, really Russia orchestrated starvation that they experience again at the hands of the Russians and and we're seeing this again. So this is an incredible humanitarian crisis. And as Maria really points out, and Maria, I really think this is important. There is a um, situation in East Africa right now. Um, There is a a, a terrible drought, which is leading to um, a a situation there in East Africa. And East Africa, many East African countries received the grain from Ukraine, which is now not allowed to leave because the Russians have essentially taken it. So it is a worldwide problem, not just affecting the people of Ukraine, which should be enough for the West to certainly wake up and help. But it is a worldwide problem. It has tremendous tentacles that are stretching all over the world. So I think your piece is really important. I, I hope people, we will put your, we'll put a link to your article um, over at Town Hall in this podcast. I want to pivot over to talk about um, sort of the conditions that you saw in, in Ukraine. You mentioned shortages. Um, but what, you know, I think about the disruptions um, that COVID uh you know, created here in the U.S. for and around the world, obviously, with closed schools and just societal disruptions. Um, what is it like in the Ukraine right now for children and for parents um, who must be in a state of constant panic and worry? Um, and is there sort of normal life or has that all come to a halt? So it depends which part of Ukraine we're talking sure. about. Um, it, uh, in the Far East, obviously, many schools have now been destroyed by Russians. Um, so obviously, 
there is no chance for those kids in terms of safety or infrastructure that they have nowhere to go back as well as if, like um, civilian homes and houses have also been destroyed. Uh, many people from the east have moved to the west of Ukraine. Right. Where you can say that in some cities where my parents live, life is kind of going back as normal. It's not really normal because everyone's doing something to help the army. Uh, in the early days of the war, kids were asked to go to schools um, and instead of learning, they were asked to help um, with various um, humanitarian supplies. Mm. They were asked to help collect some um, shoes, toys, all of those things that were la- later sent to um, or given to people who moved from the east of Ukraine. So schools um, in western Ukraine have been trying to integrate this war effort into their uh, schooling activities, which I think has been quite amazing for the just it, it keeps um, pupils and students and parents united around the same age. Yeah. But many Ukrainian kids um, and parents have now moved to many countries in the European Union, uh, where they obviously, from what I'm seeing, many of them go to school straight away. So it can be the case where you just moved to Germany a few days ago and next week you're sending your kids to school. Um, EU countries have simplified it, so it's quite easy for Ukrainian kids to there and go to school. Um, have there have you been seeing any? I mean, what is? I guess the the question is: Are are families able to stay together, or have you seen a lot of sort of children being sent somewhere? Parents, I know that a, that you know men in Ukraine have to fight. Um, so, are you seeing though our children or what's sort of the condition of of children in terms of? Um, is there a large group of children that maybe can't find their parents or their parents have died how, how what you know i don't know if there's any stats on that but what is uh what's the what does it look like there um so um, normally kids travel with their mothers and um, if they move to, to, to western ukraine and go somewhere west in in europe um, there, there's been obviously cases of both parents dying and kids being orphans for life. Um, or like um, or, or there was this story in, in the early days of the war where this kid who was 10 year old walked himself, walked on his own from Kiev to Poland. So that was mm. probably 700 kilometers mm. uh, at least. And he walked in his um, he walked on his own because his parents he either couldn't find them or something. I don't really know the stats for that, uh, but there seems so. The worry is we don't really know what's happening on the occupied territories. I mean, we know something, but we don't know how many kids um, are now orphans. But one thing that's been quite striking, striking and shocking in terms of Russian invasion is um, they are sending Ukrainian kids to Russia. And that's over, I think the number would be somewhere 100,000 kids, Ukrainian oh. kids, who have now been sent to Russia. And Russia has simplified adoption procedure oh. so that those kids can be adopted by Russian families. And as a result, they would never speak Ukrainian. They would never know they're Ukrainian. And they were forcefully taken from their parents in many cases because Russia has those filtration camps, uh, which you have to pass if you want to... Um, to to escape uh, an occupied territory and many kids as well as many parents don't really make it past those 
Um, so it's quite terrifying what's happening there. Oh, that's so awful. Now I know that you are actually you ha- you and your um, your boyfriend uh, Alexander Hammond have um, who also works um, sort of in this sort of re- regulatory world with us. Um, uh, you've set up a charity. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yes, we've set up. Um, it's more like a fundraiser. Uh, where we're trying to collect money, which we, well, initially we started it to help refugees uh, who were traveling to Poland to pay for their accommodation, to pay for their transportation from the Polish border to uh, to any place which was safe in Poland where they could stay. Um, and then as time passed by, we realized that there was, um, so the needs of refugees were more or less covered by various platforms, various NGOs, which all have emerged within a few weeks after the full-scale war began. Um, so we started raising more money, but now we are raising more for military aid. Uh, my dad, who's in Ukraine, is helping quite a few people, at least 20 soldiers, in terms of supplying them with various uh, with uniforms and medical supply kits, tourniquets, all of those things that are really needed when you're on the front lines, as well as fixing their cars. Um, and then we also in touch with one uh, group um, who used to be in Kiev, but they've now moved to somewhere in the east, who we are also helping. Um, so a few days ago, when we were in Ukraine, we had a, not, not to say a funny accident, but we had to carry all of the military uniform, which we bought. We oh. had to walk across the border because the government regulation on the Ukrainian side wouldn't let us travel oh. by car into Ukraine. So we carried all of those like heavy bags <sighs> and boxes across the border just so we can give it to people who are in the military and really need them. Well, that is, oh gosh, that is, that is truly, truly working hard. Um, bring I see on, I saw the pictures on Twitter and those were very, very large boxes. Um, so um, I admire you guys for, for all the work that you're doing. Um, you know, you're seeing also, I think in the beginning, weren't you also helping to find housing for Ukrainians? I know you were working in Poland for a while and you were trying to find shelter essentially um, and, and housing for Ukrainian families who had made it over to Poland. Is that something you're still helping with? And how are those families? Um, so I'll start with uh, how they are. Well, many Ukrainians really want to go back to Ukraine. So it's quite tricky to help um, yeah. people who are refugees because Ukrainians are not really refugees. They are more like very temporarily displaced sure. people. Um, so, um, no, we, we are still doing that on the side a bit, depending on where the needs arise. Um, but normally, um, all of the families that we've helped, many of them ask to pay for their accommodation for mm. a few weeks. So I imagine many of them now we got back to Ukraine and live in Ukraine because um, the separation of families is very, very painful. And women and kids just can't do without their granddads, without their dads, obviously. Um, so it's quite painful and not many Ukrainians choose to stay in Poland or anywhere else in Europe. How did you observe when you were there watching, though, at the early days? And yes, they're temporarily in Poland. But how did you what did you observe in terms of the mothers trying to at least comfort their children or what would they say to their children? What were some of the things that the children would do to be, you know, or the parents would do to distract their children or make their children feel safe? 
that's um, a very difficult question to answer when you're not a psychologist. In the early days of war, there was um, Ukrainian doctors were releasing guides, and normal like psychologists were, were releasing guides on how to talk to kids about war, because obviously kids, especially teenagers, were all quite shocked and so it was mm. difficult to get to them. Um, so I think um, in many ways, what was helping um, in some in say funny ways, there was this story of a kid who was four years old, I think, and who made it together with his mom to the to the poli- to, to the to the Polish side um, um, after crossing the Ukrainian border. And this kid was crying really hard, and there was this humanitarian group helping people around, making sure they have transportation and everything. And the kid was like desperate; he was crying. Uh, and then one of the volunteers from this humanitarian group comes to the kid. It's like, how can I help you? And the kid is like, oh, I would really love this. I don't know, um, fluffy lie, a stuffed lion or something. And they brought him this toy and the kid was like, oh my gosh, this is, it just <laughs> made me feel better. <laughs> so the kid come down. Uh, but many Ukrainian kids are struggling with psychological problems. I was helping a family from Mariupol um, who spent probably like two months um, in shelters and the child was, I think, nine years old or something. And this boy had mood swings. So oh. he would, in a day, he would, in an hour, he would go from feeling very happy to feeling like extremely devastated and depressed. Um, and so one of the ways uh, to help those kids is um, for Ukrainian families to uh, seek help in European countries or whenever they move. I know many are, um, are getting psychologist appointments after moving to European countries because parents just can't really cope with these mood swings. And for mothers, it's extremely difficult as well because they traumatize themselves. And yes, and, and the child also, yeah. also traumatized. And of course, these mothers are, many of them are by themselves. Their husbands are back. They're worried about their husbands their, um, and their fathers. And um, they're they're doing this parenting in wartime by themselves. So it's a it's a really dreadful situation for these mothers as well. Um, one tweet that I noticed um, is the idea that maybe some of the donations and maybe some of the interest in this issue is dying off, which is very upsetting to me because this is a grave situation that really needs to have the world's eyes on it continuously. Um, are, is, are you experiencing that um, with your organization? I know you're still fundraising. Are you experiencing that um, that sort of drop-off with your org? Um, yes, we are. Um, unfortunately, it does seem like the interest in the Ukrainian war is fading um, and it's getting more and more difficult to raise money for the Ukrainian war, for, for the war in Ukraine. Also because the mainstream media is not really reporting it as much as it used to be. Uh, which uh, is obviously playing to the benefit of Russia because of Europe is yeah. tired of the Ukrainian war. Uh, then um, uh, US media is also bored of it, so now we can like do all the worst things that we couldn't really do because there was pressure coming from governments, from media, from everywhere. So it's getting quite difficult on, on this front as well. Um, but Ukrainians themselves are donating the last money that they have. Um, and uh, there was this case in, for example, Lithuania where... A few days ago, Lithuanians fundraised one million euros just to buy a barricade, uh, like weapon, and it's that's helping Ukrainians a lot. As well as Ukrainians are donating, you can donate something like I don't know, five dollars. Some Ukrainians do that, and because everyone is so united, you can get like 
um, a million or something or a bit short of that and within a few hours sometimes. So all the Ukrainians are giving the last money that they have, mm. even if no help is coming. Obviously, we would all appreciate if the help was coming, but yeah. we, have to, we have to help ourselves as well. I, I, one thing I want to end with, and I want—I actually want to end with you telling how they can follow you and know about your f- fundraising efforts and where to give. But the, before that, I want to say one thing. You know, in your town hall piece, which is so compelling, you talk about how this the cruelty of the Soviets and now the cruelty of the Russians um, in, in really stealing, um, you know, raiding and stealing the, the crops from Ukraine was something that the USSR managed to hide um, during the Great Famine, right? With these things, we didn't know. The West certainly did not know um, about that because, you know, it was obviously it was so many years ago before technology um, but it is a different time now. And, and, you know, you and I often write about how, you know, how wonderful technology is and modernity makes life easier for people. And this is another case where the Russians simply won't get away with it this time. Um, and social media and you know, other forms of technology um, have really helped people um, catalog and record this. And Maria, you are a part of that, and I really want to thank you um, for all the work that you've done on behalf of the Ukrainian people, not only the charitable work that you're doing, but also um, keeping people aware through your Twitter account and through your writing. So thank you so much for everything you've done. Thank you very much, Lee. Thank you so much. I, I very much appreciate your support. Now, Maria, can you tell our listeners what, the name of your charity, where to give, if there's other things that we should be doing, um, and and also, you know, sort of your, your handles on social media? Um, yes. Um, one thing I would like to really emphasize um, by using this opportunity is I understand it's a bit challenging for many people to donate to military aid because they see this as we are funding war, whatever they see in this. But I would like to emphasize that Russia can can only be stopped if Ukraine manages to stop it on, on, on the front lines. There is no other way to stop a country mm. with which Ukraine has essentially been at war all its history, and not because Ukraine initiated it. Of course. So it's very it's very important for if you have if, if you're willing to help, please do not be afraid to donate to initiatives, raising for uniforms, raising money for, you know, sometimes we raise money for, for planes, for anything that's really needed on the front lines. Um, that's what Alex and I have been doing in the past few weeks. Um, our um, crowdfunding can be found in Just Giving. Um, it's um, uh, Harmond um, and Chaplier. If you just type in, type in just giving Chaplia, you'll probably be able to find it. We will include all, we will, we will be sure to include these links, Maria, at the end. I do want to emphasize, you know, one other thing, you know, I, I get there is a, like Maria said, there is a debate going on of, uh, you know, people worrying that giving certain military aid is provocative, blah, blah, blah. But there are other ways in which you can help the military. And one of the ways, Maria, I saw on Twitter um, that you and Alexander are doing this is with uniforms. Ukrainian um, soldiers need, you know, they need, you know, more, more uniforms. And so um, that is another way in which you can help um, the Ukrainian people. And I think a really um, 
effective way of doing that, because as you say, it helps the people that are fighting the Russians on the front lines. Um, yes, we, we are raising money for uniforms and Ukrainian soldiers are extremely grateful for uh, for uniforms. Many of them are, get to the front lines wearing like sportswear, just because there is often many volunteers and sometimes you get sent to the front lines, you, you just get a notification how to go and you have to leave with, within the next few days. And obviously supplies are running short, Ukraine's economy is crippling. So it's it's all thanks to our shared efforts that those people can actually have a uniform and can at least get some, I don't know, and, and eventually get some protection as a body armor, which is also something that um, we would like to buy more of, as well as drones. There is so, so many things that can be just bought if, and um, there is um, in the US the situation is still a bit different, but in Europe you can't really buy uh, military stuff. In right. the UK, in Poland, everything has been sold off, and it's all thanks to volunteers and everything. Marie, your family is still much of your family is still in Ukraine, correct? Yes, all of them are. Well, listen, you know that I um, I am praying for your family and all the Ukrainian people, and you have my support, and we are going to um, promote your charity. But people should just please uh, not forget that this is a very important cause to, to support. And, um, and if you can financially to give to these charities that are working, um, to help the Ukrainian people. Um, Maria, I, I, again, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, please reach out to me if you want to come on and update our listeners. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lee. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for being here for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get Bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.